Before I start today's episode, I want to say that I'm putting the show on a hiatus to focus on other forms of content, mostly my YouTube and TikTok. I'm also developing other podcasts. Unlike the last time, this will be a long hiatus. Why, yes, there are other sci-fi podcasts on the web, but they talk about Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who, and pretend they're really into sci-fi. They know nothing. This is Unpopular Sci-Fi, an atomic future podcast. Your host is an absolute sci-fi nerd. He knows and talks about anything and everything sci-fi. Sci-fi movies, shows, video games, and not only that, but he digs deep. Welcome in to Unpopular Sci-Fi, an atomic future podcast. And now your host, RJ Cervantes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpopular Sci-Fi. This is the show's first Halloween special. It will be a double feature. This month's double feature will be The Werewolf and The Vampire. What do they have in common? Are these really sci-fi movies? I will answer your questions soon. First, I want to talk a little bit about the folklore of these mythical monsters. These creatures have some differences and similarities. The werewolf mythology has no definitive origin. But according to Brutanica, stories of werewolves have been traced back to ancient Greece. However, some scholars believe the werewolf made its debut in the epic poem, The Epic of Gigamesh. It's worth noting that wolves and humans have connections. Both wolves and men are social. We are not interested in solitude, we form packs, eat meat, etc., etc. Which is interesting because throughout werewolf literature and media, the werewolf is often associated with solitude and violence. Then again, there are humans who do prefer solitude and violence. According to Emily Zerka, there are three types of werewolf in literature. They are the victim, the damned, and the warrior. As the werewolf myth spread around the globe, different cultures have put their own spin on the lore. For example, the Danish believe only a Danish man can become a werewolf. And my personal favorite, wearing the skin of a wolf, this is similar to another mythological creature called the Selkie, where they shed their creature skin to become human again. However, Selkies are seals, not wolves. Scholars, however, have called these back riders or wolf riders. I'm going to go on a tension. I really like this idea of wearing a wolf skin to become a werewolf that I really wish a lot of media would use that. The only time where I can think a piece of media has done that was Arlstein's Goosebumps, the book and the episode Werewolf Skin. Vampires go back as far as ancient Greece, just like the werewolf. However, the modern incarnation traces back to 18th and 19th centuries Gothic European literature. Just like the werewolf, vampires have different types, such as the lesser known psychic vampires. If you guys don't know what a psychic vampire is, it's basically like a vampire that just sucks your energy dry. If you want an example, then go on YouTube, type up Spider-Man 94 Mobius. For anybody who's not a comic book fan, Mobius is like the vampire anti-hero in the Marvel Universe. But in the 94 cartoon, there was like some sort of censorship going on. So instead of Mobius sucking the blood, he has to suck the plasma out of his victims. What I find interesting about vampire lore is that you will find a logical explanation to the characteristics. 
There are diseases that show symptoms of weakness to sunlight, pale skin, and a thing for biting. One of the diseases, CEP, has been used as an inspiration for werewolf and vampire tales. The idea of what a vampire will look like has changed over time. Vampires went from being poor to living in rural areas, to aristocrats of European descent, to handsome and sexy. Now, you might be wondering, where does the science fiction come in? To answer your question, we have to go back to the 1950s. Yes, we're going back to the 1950s, the decade where everyone had a TV in their home, the Cold War, UFO paranoia, people complaining about which ideology is better, communism or capitalism, Red Scare, the birth of Burger King, rock and roll, and James Bond. A lot has happened in the 50s, and I know I didn't mention more important events, but this is a sci-fi podcast. I have to stay on topic. This was also the decade where science and technology made advancements. Science was seen to make our lives better. Because of this, we now have the birth control pill created by Gregory Pincus and John Rock of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. There was a controversial invention. That invention was called the atomic bomb. While the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened in the 40s, America in the 50s were aware of the power of nuclear weapons thanks to nuclear testing in southern Nevada and President Truman going through with the development of the hydrogen bomb in January 31st, 1950. People were afraid of nuclear warfare, and understandably so. There were drills in schools where the kids had to go under their decks on their knees with their hands covering the back of their heads. Because of this fear, filmmakers cash in on this by creating atomic age sci-fi films, such as Godzilla and its sequel, Godzilla Raids Again, The Beats from 20,000 Fathoms, It Came From Beneath the Sea, Them, Creature from the Black Lagoon, etc., etc. These movies involve creatures or people being exposed to radiation and turn into a gigantic monstrosity, or in the human cases, being mutated into an animal, like an alligator. To be fair, these are monster movies, not all Atomic Age sci-fi films evolve monsters and the fear of the bomb. Some of them capitalize on the fear of the utter or communism. Movies such as The Incredible Shrinking Man, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The War of the Worlds, This Island Earth are movies that have these subtexts. Remember when I said cultures put their own spin on werewolves and vampires? 1950s America is no exception. The werewolf isn't about an amnesiac man named Duncan Marsh who walk into a small town. Upon walking into the bar, strange murders begin to happen. Jack believes it was a man while his girlfriend Amy believed it was an animal. Both of them are right. Kind of. They don't know that Duncan was experimented on by Dr. Chambers and his partner, Dr. Forrest. Dr. Morgan Chambers' goal is to turn people into Superman by changing them into... Animals? Yeah, his goals is not fully explained. Duncan's experimentation turned him into a werewolf when he gets under pressure. The vampire is about physician and surgeon Dr. Paul Beecher, who suffers from migraines. One day, a kid tells Paul that another doctor needs him. The doctor is Matt Campbell, and Matt's dying breath... He gave a bottle of pills that he was working on that involves vampire bats. The same day, Paul asks his daughter, Betsy, to hand him a pill that will stop a migraine. Little does he know, Betsy accidentally gave him the vampire pills. Because of this, he turns into a vampire. 
Just like with This Island Earth, these are pulpy movies. They're not deep and they focus on the plot more than the characters. But that doesn't mean there are a few things to like about them. While the key differences with these movies are the title monsters, there are similarities. Both movies have sympathetic characters. Both flicks have our characters turn into monsters in the day and night. Both films have the sheriff tracking down a killer, who they don't know yet is a man who can transform into a monster, and both pictures have the opening kill early in the movie. The opening kill happens in the first 5 minutes of the werewolf while the vampire is 6, or 30 minutes and 30 seconds if you don't count Dr. Matt Campbell. I'm going to go off script, but the reason why I had to bring this up because I watch a lot of these 1950s monster movies and I notice how the opening kill happens like so early in a movie, just like slasher movies. Both movies are considered B-movies, and it shows. In The Vampire, we see a tombstone with a skull engraving and the words R.I.P. doing a graveyard scene. I'm not joking. The werewolf, on the other hand, have recycled makeup and effects. The werewolf makeup is from another film. The look of the werewolf, I think, is really impressive in this. In fact, it's a, it's a recycling job. Uh, Columbia in the 1940s had made a film called The Return of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi, playing a character who is not called Dracula because Universal seemed to own Dracula at the time. But in every other sense, it's Bela Lugosi playing Dracula again. And instead of having Renfield, the fly-eating guy, he has a minion who's a werewolf. And obviously, the character of that werewolf, who's played by an actor called Matt Willis, who looked a bit like Lon Chaney Jr., um, is to evoke the then very successful werewolf movies that Universal were making. But the makeup design of the werewolf um, must have hung around at Columbia because, they, because when they made the werewolf, they use exactly the same makeup job. It probably isn't the same makeup people applying it. it just seems to be that in the uh, you know Columbia's makeup department they had a standard werewolf makeup and they just pulled it off uh, off the shelf again and applied it to Stephen Rich which brings me to the design of the Duncan Marsh werewolf um, designed by Clay Campbell who also worked on Columbia's other werewolf outing return of the vampire for the werewolf um, Andreas who was a wonderful werewolf uh, played by Matt Willis, who is a very chatty werewolf, um, besides, of course, Henry Hull at the end of Werewolf of London, where he mutters some beautiful lines at the end of the film as he's dying. Andreas, the werewolf, talks. He's one of the first werewolves in full werewolf form that talks and is very chatty. And he's a wonderful, wonderful character. I love him. But this design is very much on par with that. The Duncan Marsh werewolf is very similar. Um, obviously, Clay Campbell sort of replicating what he did uh, a decade earlier with Return of the Vampire. So along with the snarling sharp teeth comes a lot of drool and saliva, which is quite a, a sight to behold. It's kind of like this rabid werewolf. And he's got this wispy brushed back fur and sunken black eyes and big wet nose and pointed outward ears. And it's a great werewolf look and design. It's interesting that the 50s wouldn't actually deliver that many werewolf movies. I'll talk about the ones that did um, come out through the 50s. That was Kim Newman and Lee Gabin. To be fair, I don't think it's a bad thing because the werewolf effects are really good. Clay Campbell did a great job. It's a lot better than the vampire makeup. When Paul becomes the vampire, he just has unkempt hair and a scaly face. 
Remember when I said that there are three types of werewolves in literature? Well, there are three types of werewolves in movies. The first one being hereditary, the second one being bitten, and third being gaslit into thinking you're a werewolf. In the case of the werewolf, Duncan was experiment on, so he doesn't fit into any of the three categories. The same can be said for Paul and the vampire. Paul doesn't fit into any of the vampire category. He's a doctor. He's not poor, he's not an aristocrat, nor he isn't sexy. That's what I like about these films. They're unique. They don't fit into the common ideas about the myths of these creatures. My favorite scenes from both of these flicks is when our characters is having a heartfelt moment with their families. Both Duncan and Paul hate what they become and don't want their families to be near them. Paul even sends his daughter Betsy to live with her Aunt Sally. Paul is a single father and we don't know what happened to his wife. Betsy is all Paul have. So when he says goodbye to his daughter, you know this will be the last time they see each other. Another favorite scene is Miss Deeds, played by Holland Hill, Death. The reason is because of the dog actor. When Vampire Paul attacks Miss Deeds, we see the dog run to a bush hiding hopelessly watching their owner being attacked. I'm always curious about animal actors. I always wonder how animal actors are given directions. If you're curious on who have the bigger kill count, Paul does. Duncan silenced three people while Paul murders four. Or five if you count Dr. Matt Campbell. This has nothing to do with the vampire as a whole, but one of the characters in the movie, Dr. Henry, James Griffin, looks like John Turturro. <laughs> if you were to ask me which is better, I'll say the werewolf. Both of these boomer movies are pretty good monster movies. As sci-fi movies, they're not great, but it was a different time. Nowadays, we all know radiation won't mutate people into beasts. We all know that nuclear energy provides more clean energy than solar, wind, and electricity, even though individuals are being ignorant by not realizing its potential. What I like about Atomic Age sci-fi flicks is the nostalgia. I don't know if that's the right word. When I watch these movies, I can get the subtech and feel of the 1950s with these movies. These flicks have a lot to say about the times when they were released. If you're a UFO slash alien guy, this is the decade where people believed life could be on Mars or Venus. Nowadays, we have logical explanations on how life can't be on Mars or Venus. Our understanding of what is scientifically possible has changed. Because of this, 1950 sci-fi movies are dated. Also, I really like monsters and aliens. I gotta be honest. I give the werewolf a 3.5 out of 5, while I give the vampire a 3 out of 5. Have you seen the werewolf or the vampire? Let me know on social media. And remember, the show is on hiatus. I don't know when I'm going to come back, but when I do, I will be more prepared and have a consistent schedule. I need this time to focus on other projects. Now, if you excuse me, it's Friday the 13th. I'm going to watch Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, and The New Goosebumps Show on Disney+. Plus. Ciao. You've been listening to Unpopular Sci-Fi, an atomic future podcast. RJ's passion is anything sci-fi and anything except mainstream sci-fi. We nerd out and dig into the petty stuff the fun stuff we hope you've enjoyed the show if you did make sure to like rate and review and we'll be back soon but in the meantime find us on youtube at atomic future and on twitter at atomic underscore future
see you next time on Unpopular Sci-Fi. 